of the hot issues in farming right now. Labor, water, other environmental concerns. Some local students tackling these as part of their education. Via FFA, big believer myself in FFA. I'm going to try to make it over east side of the mountains to FFA uh, convention over in Pullman uh, next week if I can make all the scheduling work out uh, because what they do with FFA is so cool. It, it, you, by the way, for people who don't, and, and I should say welcome ba- uh, back to the farming show, Dylan Oncoop here on KGMI News Talk 790. FFA, people know it as Future Farmers of America. Did you know, it, unless they changed something since I was in it, but even by the t- when I was in it back in, you know, Almost 20 years ago, I guess. 20 Yeah. Wow, I'm getting old. Um, it, it didn't, the FFA didn't even st- stand for Future Farmers of America anymore because there are so many non-farm kids that take part of it, and that's a good thing. Why? Well, because they get exposed to some agricultural issues, and whether they're the farming type or not, there's so many good leadership opportunities so much great stuff for kids to do, you know, to gain professional skills and background and knowledge. And it's just such a, a worthy program. And I know so many lives across this country have been affected and improved, uh, changed by FFA. So uh, when I heard recently that some FFA kids from Linden High School, the Ag Issues team for this year, had a presentation they put together. I think I saw it in the Trib first, in the Linden Tribune. Um, they were going to present, I think it was to the 10 mile, uh, watershed folks. They presented, I thought, Oh, that's kind of cool. And then I, I managed to catch them here, um, at our offices at ag central here in Linden where Watkin family farmers is. And I have my uh, desk as well. Um, and that's where we're broadcasting from this morning. They presented it again, uh, their thing, and it's basically set up like a, a show, almost like a radio show. And and so they asked me, could we put this on the air? I said, yeah. You know, I do a radio show, so if you guys are putting together a radio show for your Ag Issues project to talk about Ag Issues, let's do it on the radio. So we put the whole thing together. Um, and it was a lot of fun working with these kids, talented group of kids, very passionate about what they're doing and about these issues and just a great opportunity for them to learn about these issues. So what I am going to share with you right now, without further ado, is the, the radio show, they, they call it Good Morning Ag. And so I, I talked to them into letting me be the big vo- voice guy for the show. I've always wanted to, to be that guy, so I finally got the chance. <laughs> and and uh, so here we go. Uh, this is uh, the the 2019 the Linden High School FFA 2019 Ag Issues Team and the show that they have put together to share with us here. And uh, they call it Good Morning Ag. Tackling the hottest topics facing farming in Whatcom County and across the nation. This is Good Morning Ag. Now from the Linden High School Broadcast Studios, here's your host, Dylan DeYoung. Hello and welcome to this episode of Good Morning Ag. I'm your host, Dylan DeYoung. This morning's topic, Will Farming Survive? 
Will this agricultural career and way of life still be around in 10, 20, or even 50 years? By the year 2050, U.S. growers will need to reach an impressive level of food production if they want to feed the expected 9.1 billion people that will be here. The 2017 Ag Census revealed that the average age of farmers continues to be on the rise. With such high demands ahead, fewer and fewer are stepping up to the challenge. Farmers are having to turn to new technology, tackle labor shortages, and of course navigate the limited resources of water. So this morning, that is what we want to address. Maybe there are enough new technologies out there, and enough people, and enough water, but maybe not. Will this still be a viable career in 2050 when we need it the most? That's this morning on Good Morning Ag. Good Morning Ag is a production of the Linden High School FFA 2019 Ag Issues Team and is produced solely for educational and entertainment purposes. Opinions expressed on the show do not necessarily represent the actual views of any of the named organizations. Time for Farming Feud, where we hear your thoughts on the issue. This week's hashtag is, Will Farming Survive? Our first tweet of the morning comes from Ironox CEO Shana Kewick, who says that farming will be saved by robots, not humans. And since this tweet received 250,000 likes, we would like to bring her up, as well as Congresswoman Brenna Vanderyat, to talk to us about agricultural labor. Let's welcome them to the show. So Shana, for today's topic, Will Farming Survive? We are focusing on three main parts, labor, technology, and water rights. To start off, we'd like to tackle labor. As CEO of Ironox, your company focuses on technology and labor in the ag industry. In your most recent article, you say, automation allows for a more accurate work environment with little human oversight. Do you really expect that all farmers everywhere can become completely automatic? Well, I'm not dumb, and I know something this huge cannot just happen overnight. But eventually, it will become a possibility. As some traditional farming systems fade away, we can replace them with robot-first technology. At Ironox, we are attempting to automate the world's food production. As you said, we have a lot of people to feed by 2050. So we've designed the entire grow process at our facility with a robotics-first approach. Instead of just incorporating the robots, we've actually designed everything around them. With less and less land to work with and fewer hands to help, we must turn to technology because it will be the saving grace of farms all across America. Ms. Kuick talked about traditional farming systems fading away and how there are fewer and fewer workers. But I'm wondering why we are accepting that these systems will disappear when instead we should be fighting for them. I'm currently working on an agricultural labor bill that would help solve the shortage of workers that we're facing, which is causing us to need robotic assistance in the first place. The Ag and Legal Workforce Act, H.R. 6417, would replace the H-2A visa guest worker program with a less costly H-2C program, meaning migrant workers would be able to come to America for up to three years at a time instead of the short 10 months. This would allow them to be a more permanent part of the labor force that farms desperately need to survive. Do you really think that these immigrants are going to stay for three years and then just willingly leave without complaints? This Ag and Legal Workforce Act would replace the visa program with a cheaper one. However, this would impose a mandatory employment eligibility verification, or an e-verify. It would also require illegal immigrants currently in the U.S. to obtain H-2C visas, leave the country, and come back on the visa. Even if these workers are able to come back, it may take a long time, and then we're still left searching for people to fill these jobs when they could easily be filled with this new technology. I agree it may turn into a long process. However, I think with the right standards and laws, we wouldn't have to worry about these issues. The struggle with these migrant workers and their visas isn't the only reason why robots remain. Also, what about the estimated 3 million migrant workers that are a part of the farming labor force? 
Are you telling me you can just get rid of all of them and replace them with robots? What about their families? Have you even thought about these things? You'd be taking away their way of life. I understand the risk of immigrants losing their jobs, but we need to think about the long term and feeding the 7.7 billion people who live in this world now. And anyways, a lack of workers is not the only factor in the struggle of keeping farms active. The next generation of farmers also seems unwilling to take over the family farm, which is a crucial part in the survival of farming. I don't really think it's fair to make the assumption that families aren't going to take over the farm. Most children who grow up on a farm want to continue the legacy and provide for the community. It's a huge role and something they should be proud of. Great points from Congresswoman Brenna Vanderyat and Ironox CEO Shannon Kewig. Thank you both again for coming on the show. We can see that labor is a crucial part of the farming industry and advancing technology poses a helping hand. But will it take away too many jobs? It's time for Farming Headlines. Have you heard this? Dairy Farms Water Recycling Systems, a game changer. Did you know that they are going to turn 22,000 gallons of manure into 12,000 gallons of clean water daily? We need to have them on the show. Let's welcome Regina spokeswoman Jenna Matthews and Hannah Munkers with the Washington State Conservation Commission to come tell us about this new filtration system, as well as other important technology that can benefit both sides. As we think back to our overall theme for the day, Will Farming Survive? Another important aspect to consider is technology. Jenna, tell us about this new technology and when you first approached the farm's owner, Jeff Rainey, about using this on their farm. I first approached Mr. Rainey in early 2017 about the possibility of implementing our new filtration system that will transform cow manure into clean water on his farm. Since nutrient management techniques vary heavily depending on location, climate, and size of the operation, we knew that cold stream farms would be a good fit because their farm has the right qualities for implementing the system. Also, Coldstream Farms received a nearly $1 million grant from the Washington State Conservation Commission to help cover the installation, operating, and research costs of this project. We are excited about this new partnership as Coldstream Farms would be the first farm in the state to implement this new cutting-edge technology. However, we have also realized that cost could be a concern. Everything has to start somewhere, right? As you said, this is the first farm in the entire state to implement this new technology. In the past year, nearly $4 million have been awarded for the innovative dairy nutrient management projects statewide. As long as the state is on board with these new technologies, money does not need to be an issue. It is true that the state awarded millions this past year, but we are not always sure that that money will be readily available. And honestly, sometimes farmers aren't as willing to put in the time and effort to learn about this new technology when they have been running the farms the same way for many generations. This is great technology and sounds like it could keep farming thriving, but clearly cost is a concern. Are there any other technologies out there that farms are using? For sure. At Regenis, we have been working with local farms to implement anaerobic digesters. An anaerobic digester uses microorganisms to break down biodegradable materials such as cow manure and turn it into sustainable products that manage waste and can produce fuel. Vanderhawk Farms, located in Linden, Washington, was the first farm in the state to get an anaerobic digester and they now receive income from five avenues separate from their actual dairy farming. This technology has proven to be beneficial if you have the right context, but otherwise, economically, it doesn't really balance out. The fact is that yes, even though the digester provides the farmer with a source of income through electricity, it's not cost effective. With an average of $7.68 per kilowatt hour, this makes Washington State the second most affordable state for electricity in the nation. This is in large part due to the many dams throughout the state, as Washington produces more electricity than it consumes. So why would a farmer spend thousands of dollars, if not millions, setting up a digester when they won't start making a profit for at least five years? 
Both of these technologies seem to have their pros and cons, but the question still remains. Will farmers be able to use these as well as other technology to help keep their careers alive and thriving? Yes, they will be able to use these technologies to keep their careers alive and thriving. Look at this example of a technological advancement from the last year alone. Grower Information Services Cooperative and Agricultural Data Coalition have recently come together to develop Ag Exchange, a platform that improves the functionality and value of farmers' data, as well as the control and the ability to share data with researchers or universities. This gives farmers the ability to give their data to researchers or universities to help create future advancements. With this kind of constant progress being made, how can farming not survive? No matter how much technology is developed and implemented, farming as we know it will always be behind the times. The 2017 Ag Census data reveals there is now a 3% decline in total number of farms since the last time the census was taken in 2012. There have been many technological advancements in the last 10-15 to 15 years, like that of robotic harvesting, which was mentioned earlier. And still, farms are decreasing. No matter the use of technology, conventional farming methods will not be able to keep up. Those are some great points, and thank you again, Hannah and Jenna, for coming on the show. Time for our third segment of the morning. As we think back to our topic for this morning, Will Farming Survive?, we have covered labor and technology. And now we want to discuss water's role in keeping farming alive. Let's welcome local family farmer, Rafe Wolfensberg. Rafe farms with his father, Hans Wolfensberg, who has been struggling with water resources. And here representing the Department of Ecology, Olivia Tellefson, to show us the environmental importance of water supply. Rafe, in previous interviews, your father mentioned that you don't have access to your well. Can you explain that, please? The previous farmer began irrigating our land in the 1960s and applied for a groundwater right, which was never processed. Over 400 groundwater applications have been filed by Wacom farmers, with few being processed by the Department of Ecology because of the uncertainty over how much water is legally available. My dad kept irrigating as the previous owner had done and worked with all the other local farmers to resolve these uncertainties. He actually obtained a surface water right along with several neighbors, but these can only be used when the Nooksack River flows above the minimum in-stream flow set in state law. Well, what happened was a community member called in to inform us that the suspected Mr. Wolfisberg was still pumping water from the Nooksack River in late July. They assumed he was taking water from the river, and knowing this would be breaking the Nooksack in-stream flow rule, they reported him. Upon further investigation, we discovered Mr. Wolfisberg was not pumping directly from the river, but instead from his well, which he did not have the proper rights to do so. We gave him a notice that stated if he continued to pump from his well or the river, he would be fined $5,000 a day. Olivia, would you mind explaining what the Nooksack in-stream flow rule is, as not all of our listeners may be aware? Of course. When the Nooksack rule was set in 1985, ecology actually encouraged farmers to make use of groundwater when flows were too low in the river. Since that time, legal cases have created a one-molecule standard on the relationship between groundwater and surface water. In other words, if there is any chance that pumping from a well might have one molecule effect on the stream, then irrigation from the well must be stopped. This has the effect of potentially shutting down most irrigation in the Nooksack Basin. When this rule was created, it did not take into account agriculture. In addition, permit-exempt wells and senior water right holders do not have to follow this rule. The DOE prohibited itself from handing out new water rights in 27 out of 30 of the Nooksack River Basins. 
The Lummi and Nooksack tribes also have tribal ownership dating back to 1855, which grants them power over the water usage in the Nooksack. And outdated flow levels drop below the minimum amount needed to irrigate over 50% of the time. How is anyone in agriculture supposed to survive this dilemma? Rafe, what has your dad been doing on his farm to keep the grass growing if the department would not grant a permit and the flow levels are that low? Thinking ahead, five years ago he bought interruptible water rights to pump out of the river. This means that he is only allowed to pump during a specific period, and although it is not reliable year-round, he figured it would get us by. Since the in-stream flow rule supersedes these rights, when the flow in the river goes below the minimum, we can no longer irrigate our fields. What we soon found is that the rights he bought only work until about mid-June when the river level gets too low. The rights were absolutely useless because we can only use them when we don't need to irrigate. It may be difficult for farmers to stay profitable, but we are trying to keep the indigenous salmon population up by ensuring that there is enough water in the river for them to thrive. This in turn improves the entire ecosystem of the Nooksack River Valley. Our goal is to keep the environment alive for the next generation. All farmers are vulnerable, some more than others. Hans fell under the spotlight because surface water withdrawals were being monitored and they assumed his irrigation was coming from the river. If he didn't have the surface right, he would likely have not been examined. But since we had to examine, we felt they could no longer allow irrigation from a well without having the permit fully processed. If more examinations occur this summer, more wells will be shut off. Very good points from both of you. Thank you again for coming and sharing your thoughts with us this morning. Now for our final segment, 10 Second Summary. Let's hear from each of our guests as they give us a 10 second summary on where they stand. Traditional labor proves to be successful, so why would we change that? Technology will be what saves our farms, regardless of the cost. We've never known a world without farming. How are we supposed to survive if farmers can't produce the food we need? I still stand with what I said before. Farming will be saved by robots, not humans. This is something we need to accept so we can work and move forward together. Farming isn't the priority. Natural resources are and always will be. We need to preserve them no matter the cost. No matter how much technology we come up with, money will always prevent progress for farmers. Wow, what a great show. That's all the time we have. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us this morning. This is Dylan DeYoung, and may we be honest and fair in the game of life. Good Morning Ag is a production of the Linden High School FFA 2019 Ag Issues Team and is produced solely for educational and entertainment purposes. Opinions expressed on the show do not necessarily represent the actual views of any of the named organizations. Well, there you have it, and what a good job, right? Linden High School 2019 Ag Issues Team doing a great job with that show that they put together. Uh, and again, if, if you tuned in in the middle of that, that is a, a show that they put together as, as their project. No, it's not the new program during this this hour, but wanted to showcase the work that they had put together um, in, in kind of a, a mock radio show that they wanted to do for their project this year for Ag Issues. Kudos to them. Great job, guys. And stay with us. We'll be back with more on The Farming Show.